It's that time. Everything and anything basketball. Presented by The Outrage. With Cajun Theory Castle and host Spencer Byers. This is Polar Opposites. Welcome, everyone, to Polar Opposites. Spencer Byers, Cajun Theory, Tanny Castellum, Monday edition. We did miss last Thursday. Not by design, might I add. Cajun was busy. I was busy. I was in, a, in America for American Thanksgiving last week on Thursday, as it was again American Thanksgiving on the Thursday. So I guess technically we took just took American Thanksgiving off. It is a statutory holiday in the U.S., not obviously here in Canada, but... You know, I guess we can just say we were American for a day and took the statutory holiday off. But now we're back. Well, the, N- well, the NBA was, well, the NBA was off on Thursday too. Yes, that it was. The only thing on was football. No hockey, no basketball. It was just the football. And that's of course the American version. Mm. And the Niners got a big win on the Thursday. Might I add? I watched that entire game, which was nice to watch the Niners uh, kick the uh, snot out of the uh, Seattle Seahawks. But anyway. Back to what we're supposed to be talking about, Cage, and basketball. And since we last spoke, some big things have been happening right now in the NBA. One of the biggest, you probably could argue right now, are the second rank, tied for second in the East, Orlando Magic. They've won seven in a row. Their last loss coming on November 14th away in Brooklyn against the Nets at the Barclay Center in the play-in tournament. But since that moment, Gage, they've won seven on the bounce, including a win over the Boston Celtics a couple days ago on Friday, 113-96, in a game that also was in the play-in tournament. So not only did they get a win against the leaders in the East right now in the Boston Celtics, they also jumped ahead of those Celtics in the play-in tournament group that they happened to be in and have the magic of a prime chance to be playing in the quarterfinals of the play-in tournament. So everything coming up rosy for a team that another one of the teams that I say we looked at cage as maybe can make the jump to go from kind of young teams. You don't really know what they are to contenders, you know, Mm -hmm. the Pistons another team like that, the Pistons have been garbage and the magic showing that maybe they found the right mix with, with Von Caro and Franz Wagner. Well, they're, they are making pretty much my 11th place ranking in the East looks absolutely like a joke. Uh, I have to scroll back to back and see what those what I break the magic as. And I said they were gonna, and I to, and I said they were gonna be a good team, but I didn't think that they'd be a year. I thought they were gonna be a year away. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> Defensively, this team is a menace. You got Jalen Suggs, who's figured it out defensively. Offensively, he's still a little bit further. He's still a little bit lagging behind. But defensively, man, this guy's a beast. Then you got Franz Wagner, Paulo Bancaro, Jonathan Isaac, Wanda Carter Jr., who's actually hurt right now during the streak. They've been winning these games with Tazi starting. And they got pieces off the bench, too. They got scorers off the bench, too. Cole Anthony. 
and Mo Wagner. And Joel Ingles has provided some a veteran presence too. So Spence, this team is stifling te- uh, this team is stifling opponents defensively and scoring just enough to get by. Well, I want to say something here, and I don't mean to say this in a disparaging way towards the player, but I want to big us up just a little bit, just a little bit. So Patrick Beverly, obviously a player right now for the Philadelphia 76ers, infamous for the uh, aggressiveness he has in the defensive end. He talked mm-hmm. about how publications were putting Franz Wagner and Paolo Banquero in their top 10 position rankings, and the Magic suck. How can they be top 10 at their position and the team still suck? Now the Magic are really good. And Cajun, you put Franz Wagner at 10 of the best small fours in the NBA right now. I put him at 7. You and I both put Paolo Banquero at 8 of the best power forwards in the NBA. Mm-hmm. They're playing like it. They're showing that this Magic team has finally found the right mix. And I don't know if it's sustainable to be the second-best team in the East cage for this Magic team. That defense, though, is, that defense, though, is definitely sustainable with the it, amount of length that that team has. But even then, in spite of that cage, you know, if this second place in the East is not sustainable, they're primed to be at least a playing team, but more even likely a straight-up playoff team in the top six seeds. Oh, the way it's looking right now, they're no doubt a straight-up playoff team. They're scoring a lot better, and they're just locking up teams. And it it could be anybody that's going off. It could be Franz Wagner. It could be Mo Wagner, who I think, I want to say he had 27 against Boston. And then Paulo Bencaro, we all know the man can get the man's a bucket getter. On any night, it could be Jalen Suggs. And then just last game against the Hornets, in which the Magic won their seventh. It was Cole Anthony that dropped thirty. Any anybody on that team can drop twenty or thirty on an on any given night. And defensively, I think what's even scarier is that they could be better because Marco Fultz isn't even playing right now. So I think they're going to be a playoff team. I think they're straight up they, they're straight up a playoff team. And I think the scary part is they're going to get better. I think I had them in the play-in at 10. And they're outplaying where I thought they were going to be. I think you said you had them at 11, so you had them just outside of the play-in. So both of us knew they were going to be right around the play-in. And I did not expect them to be in the playoff seeds. And right now it almost looks like a formality. Yeah, almost looks like it's going to be a formality of them getting into the playoffs. Now, another team that obviously you and I expect to be really good, the Phoenix Suns, they come up with a big one over the Knicks yesterday, well, I guess technically two days ago when you hear this, over the New York Knicks, 116-113. Without Kevin Durant, Devin Booker decides to 
hit the shot that wins the game. He had a game, or he had a team high tw- 28 points in the win for the Phoenix Suns, who have never really had their best lineup cage. They never really have had Beal, Booker, and KD on the floor at the same time. And even with that, they're right now tied for third in the Western Conference. Yeah. And I didn't think the two teams that they'd be behind, the, that the two teams that'd be ahead of them would be the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Oklahoma City Thunder. But hey, yet here we are. And yet here we are. Another thing to mention, Cage, that I just noticed the Suns are also on a seven game heater. So, two straight teams we're talking about on big, lengthy winning streaks. And speaking of hot teams, the T Wolves and the Thunder, just like the Suns, they're eight and two in their last 10 games. And let's talk about the T Wolves because I know you don't like to talk about towns openly. Openly. But Ed, but Edwards has taken that next step. And I don't mean as a scorer, but just doing everything. Being a playmaker, being a defender. He's taken on that role, and he's grown. Mike Conley's been a steady presence. It's taken a year and chump change for, this, for the Gobert trade to pay dividends. But their defense has really been good with Gobert at the helm. And the dif- and the difference between Gobert and you go those Utah teams with Gobert and those those um this Minnesota team with Gobert they got a wing score because guard play for the most part can be easier to stop than wing wing scores like the Tatum's the Edwards the Jalen Browns. Um, I'm going with this. Lucas got the size of a wing, so him. Uh, the Kevin Durant's, and so forth. The Kawhi's, the PG's. This team is not weak defensively at any sort of position, because the problem with those Jazz teams is that the backcourt was weak defensively. With Mitchell and Conley. Aside from maybe Conley, who's not a bad defender in his own right, you got Edwards, who's a, who's a, who's improved as a defender. You've got McDaniel's. I hate to say this, but even Towns has not been a bad defender this season. And then you got Gobert leading the charge. So. This Minnesota team is going to look scary, scary good. And plus, they have one of the better backup bigs in the league in Nas Reed coming off the bench. So they're going to be scary coming out. And now the Thunder. We love our Canadian boy, Shea Gilgis Alexander. It's been spoken enough how he has been the driving force behind that Thunder team and how efficient he is as a guard shooting over 50% from the field. And getting to the free throw line at will and being elite from the free throw line, I believe, knocking over knocking over 90% of his free throws. And as the rare guard who can get it done on both ends of the floor, almost averaging a steal on a block per game, which he did last season. 
But we can't mention Shea without mentioning Chet Holmgren. Because right now, him and Wemby are in a battle for rookie of the year. And right now, right now, you can argue Chet might be the front runner. He's shooting insanely, he's shooting at an insane efficiency from the field. I think he's almost at 50, 40, 90. He's blocking shots. And I know he, and I know this rookie year is sort of like a redshirt year for him, a la Blake Griffin, when he won rookie of the year. But he's looked like he's belonged. Um, not only because he was hurt, Cage. In fairness to Chet Holmgren, it's not like he just didn't play. Like Ben Simmons, like Joel Embiid, he was hurt. Like he had the Liz Frank fracture, which is a fracture in in your foot. Like he was hurt, and maybe. The, the Thunder did sit him out longer than he needed to be sat. But at yep. the end of the day, you can't fault a guy for just having an injury. Yeah. And I also will mention, Cage, that he is shooting 56% from the full floor, 30, basically 44% from three. He's shooting 88% from the free throw line right now, averaging 18 points, leading or second highest point scorer on the Thunder, only behind, of course, say, Shea, Gilgis, Alexander. So, again, the Thunder are just a really interesting team with so many really talented young guys, Cage. Like, it takes till their seventh leading scorer to get a guy older than 25. Shea, Gilgis, Alexander, 25. Chet Holmgren, 21. Jalen Williams, 22. Josh Giddy, we'll talk to it, talk about it in a minute. Fourth, 21. Isaiah Joe, 24. Lou Dort, 24. Those are top point getters right now, all in double figures right now. Like, this is sustainable and could be sustainable for a very long time. That team, is only, that team is, because of their youth, that team's only going to get better. And with the draft picks that Sam Presti has, either they're going to get some really good youth or they're going to use those draft picks to trade for another star. And OKC's going to even look even more scary than they are right now. Again, the wizard that is Sam Presti of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now moving on to the only team here in the North, the Toronto Raptors, who have again kind of been their, I'll say, inconsistent selves, it feels like, as of Late, currently 11th in the East, 8-9 on the season. Just lost to the Cavs in their most recent game after beating the Bulls in the play-in tournament. And that game, Cage, kind of got interesting. Because yep. at the very end, Pascal Siakam looks towards Doko Ryakovich. Because he doesn't know what he's supposed to do with the clock ticking down and them up by big. T- makes a move, takes a three, misses. And then DeMar Rosen former Raptor, gets tossed. Gets, I think, either one tech or two techs and gets sent to yeah, the locker room for an early shot. He had, he, had he had a tech from before in that second quarter, in the second quarter of that game. So, so it was just one tech. Page. So one tech and got ejected from the game with about eight seconds left, ten seconds left in the game. Hugged mm-hmm. Masai Ujiri as he walked out of the building in Toronto. And DeMar had some very 
interesting comments after the game, just saying respect the game. You know, it was it was there's no reason for them taking that shot. Um, you know, and and Demar actually looked at Darko Ryakovic after the foul was made before Demar got tossed, and Dar- you could see Darko saying it's the playing tournament. In season and, yeah. The in-season tournament, exactly. Pardon me. And, um, you know, and Cage, I want to get your opinion first, because I know where I sit on this. Are you with or against DeMar DeRozan in this scenario? With Diakon taking that late shot up by so much. Again, it was 121-108 finish between the Raptors and the Bulls. Well, DeMar is getting mad at the wrong thing. Because... I don't get the point differential thing. It doesn't make any sense to me, but the reality of the matter is point differential matters. So teams are forced to run up the score and like play till the very end. And for, and like like they're forced to play till the very end. Like now I'm under the impression, like just in general, I don't like teams running out the clock. Like what was the point of that? Well, what, like, yeah, to show sportsmanship and not breaking an unwritten rule, but like, you play to the very end. You play to the very end for me, and um, and with the in-season tournament and the point differential becoming looming large, what else do you think the Raptors are supposed to do? What do you? What else do you think Siakam's supposed to do in a situation like that? What else do you think the Raptors are supposed to do in a situation like that? You want to you want to go off at someone? Go off at like how the in season tournament rules were made in the first place because because of how it's created, teams got to play till the very end. Because say it's a tiebreaker situation, now it's funny because the Raptors got eliminated regardless from contention contention at the in season tournament. So it was all for naught, but. It's how the rules are drawn up. It's how the rules are drawn up for the in-season tournament. Like usually, in any sort of circumstances in the regular season, you're not seeing that. And if you do see that, and if you do see that, a la Zion Williamson against like the Phoenix Suns last season, that's because it got personal. But yeah, like in any other circumstance, you'll never see that. But because it's the in-season tournament and point differential matters, yeah, you're gonna see guys get up shots at the end of uh, like at the end of the quarter, even uh, like at the end of the game, even if it's a blowout. Cage, you know the comment you said that upset me the most. What the words you used in. Actually, I'm trying to remember exactly how you worded it, but you basically said the sentiment of forcing teams to play the entire time. You know how sad that is? To have to say those words. That we need an incentive to make guys play a full 48 minutes of basketball, regardless of what the scoreline is. Mm-hmm. Because I am an advocate, and I am an open advocate, and I hate Hate, 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 hate the way sport in general, but I'll say specifically basketball in this scenario, 
take the way scoring is made. If you are up big, stopping playing is worse than running up the score, quote-unquote. I threw up air quotes in real life, but in air quotes, running up the score. Because Cage, as a guy who is is competitive and wants to win, if I'm playing basketball, Cage, if I lose by 40, I would rather know that's as many points as they could have scored. They played the entire time, and we they got to they won they beat us by forty. That's all they could have got. They then yep. beat us by twenty, and know in the back of your mind they could have beat us by fifty. Like that's just disrespectful to me. That that upsets me. Like you know how you have to complete five passes before you can shoot, and you have to use the whole shot clock. Like that's garbage. Play the game the way the game was intended to be played, which means play it hard and play it. Like, the game actually matters at all pretty much, times. Pretty much, if you're open, shoot the damn ball. Yeah, What what is this? Like, that's such garbage. Like, play the game the way the game was intended to be played. I don't care about unwritten rules of don't run up the score. Who cares? If you lose by one or lose by 30, you still lost. There's no difference. In the play, the in-season tournament, cage, as you mentioned, there is a difference because of the the point differential, which matters, sort of, depending on where you are. Obviously, mm-hmm. as you mentioned the Raptors and Bulls are both out, so it actually doesn't matter in the end for either team. But still, at the end of the regular season, cage, the points for and against don't matter. So, mm-hmm. why not just play a full forty-eight? And yeah, obviously, you shouldn't keep your starters out and play a full-court press up by 30. Yeah, obviously, that's a little bit disrespectful. But if your bench guys are out there, like I'll say for the Raptors, Malachi Flynn and Grady Dick are out on the floor, the first thing I'm telling them is, act like this game's 0-0. Get, go get yours, kids. Go get yours. Mm-hmm. Like, go go get it. Because you're not going to get many chances like this to play eight minutes in the fourth quarter. And, that, and, that, and that's what pisses me off the most. Like, up thirty five, up, up thirty five, yeah. and you and you put in and you put in guys that like never really play. If it's a closed game, why are you telling them to dribble out the clock? Those are minutes that they can like develop. They can like go get theirs. They can score. They can be competitive. But you got to waste a possession by like dribbling out the clock when you don't even play that much in the first place. Like, come on, it's ludicrous. But no, that really grinds my gears, Cage. That's, that's one thing about sport as as a thing in multiple sports that really does upset me. Mm. Like this idea that playing the game like it was meant to be played is disrespectful. Like that just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Like you know when there's a talent gap. You know when the other team is so much better than you. And like mm-hmm. I hate the idea. Like Like the way I try to explain it, is as a guy who would love to coach one day, Cage, I can't fathom looking at a kid in high school and saying, I want you to stop playing. Like, I can't, I, can't, I can't imagine telling a kid that. I can't imagine telling an elementary, eighth, seventh, eighth grader, hey, I want you to stop playing. Like, why are we even here then? What's the point? Like, what, we just forfeit then. We'll just call the game after three quarters. Won't even play the fourth quarter if that's what I have to do to be respectful. Like, what kind of garbage is that? No. Like, my motto in my mind that I would I would harp and make it a second nature is 
you know, you know, and I, I know it's a, a common adage, but I take it to the extreme of, you know, at the end of a half cage and your coach looks at you and goes, what's the score? Zero, zero. Regardless if you're winning or losing, the score is zero, zero. You try to win the next half or next quarter, right? Mm. I would take it as far as saying next possession. Like, if we miss a shot, next possession. Let's go get a back. Let's go get a bucket. Let's win the next possession. You know, we get a make. Okay, let's, let's win the possession. Let's get a stop. Like, that's how serious I take that. Let's win every possession. I don't want to just win the half. I don't want to just win the quarter. I want to win every possession. That's how serious I am about, about that particular adage. So, again, I expect my guys to play the entire time and play extremely well because I want to win every possession. And I don't want to lose a possession because my guys decided that we're up by enough. What, what garbage is that? So mm-hmm. I disagree with DeMar DeRozan wholeheartedly. And I think him getting ejected in Toronto, again, his former club, his uh, team that drafted him, might I add, I, I do think it's kind of childish, in my opinion. I think it's kind of childish. Mm-hmm. But, again, that is just me. And the Bulls also do suck, so that also probably doesn't help. Yeah. But continuing with some teams that have been playing real well, the Boston Celtics. They did lose the Magic in the play-in tournament cage, but they are still the cream of the crop in the Eastern Conference right now and had a pretty decent win over the Atlanta Hawks most recently with Jason Tatum having 34 points in the win, continuing what could be, I'll say could be an MVP campaign, but an MVP finalist campaign at the very least for Jason Tatum and the Boston Celtics. And they have still, even with some some losses to some interesting teams, have been really good this year. And again, with some key losses of players. Well, when you, I'm glad you mentioned key losses of players. Drew Holiday and Chris Asperzingas aren't weren't even playing that game. And Porzingis, I think, is going to be out for at least a week. Uh, calf strain, I think. Um, the point where they started, uh, who I like to call Rexdale, in the starting lineup. That's right. Delano Banton was in the starting lineup for that game against the, against the Hawks. I didn't really play much. I think he had eight points. He had 19 minutes played, but he had eight points. You're right. Um, but this Celtics team, when they don't turn over the ball, and when they don't fall in love, with, and when they don't fall in love in a toxic way with the three ball. They're a pretty damn hard team to beat. And we all know how Tatum is. A superstar. One of the better wings in the league. If not the best wing in the league. I would argue maybe maybe not the best score because KD might have something to say about that. Um Jalen Brown, who absolutely detonated on Clint Capella that game, crossing out Trey Young and then yamming it on uh, uh, Clint Capella's head. 
Um, little Swiss cheese on the side. If you know, you know. Um, but then there's the other guys. Al Horford had a big game. Maybe not scoring-wise, but doing all the little things. Derek White had 11 assists. Payne Pritchard, Sam Hauser, they were knocking down threes. Everybody was playing their role. Even Luke Cornett has has had some moments as a, a, like coming off the bench and playing, getting some good minutes for the Celtics as well. So this Boston team is is good on both sides of the floor. Not only are they good on both sides of the floor, but their depth is kind of. Uh, but their starting lineup maybe the best in the league, and their depth is a little underrated. So, in spite of some interesting losses to some teams and some, and the fact that they're playing without some some guys, they're they're the they look like they're the cream of the crop in the East. But there's a lot of teams that are trying to fight for that spot in the East, like the Orlando Magic, no longer the Orlando Tragic, the Sixers, who just blew the roof off the Lakers. 138-94, Joel Embiid with a triple-double, 30-11-11. Tyrese Maxey, I think, led all, led all scores with 31. Um, and, then there, and then there's Milwaukee, who are still trying to figure things out between Lillard and Dame. No, why did I say Lillard and Dame? Lillard and Giannis, Dame and Giannis. But they're 12-5. and five. So this is going to be a very interesting fight for that top seed in the East. But right now, it's Boston's to lose. Well, you're definitely right there. That combination of Dame and Lillard is going to be a really hard combination for the uh, Bucks to figure out. But I lie. <laughs> but we we will continue with. We'll finish off uh, the. I'll say the the team talks with the play-in tournament, as we mentioned, the ending of the play-in tournament of the, like the the round robin of the group stage. I'll say in European soccer or football, as I prefer to call it. Would, would say the group stage um, right now that have already clinched their spot in the quarterfinals in the last mm. eight are the Los Angeles Lakers and the Indiana Pacers. They've already clinched their spots to be in the quarterfinals of the final eight. So that means six spots are up for grabs. The top seeds of every group get a free locate, uh, get, get a free spot. So every top seed get one quarterfinal spot. That's six teams. And then the best sec, the two best second place teams get the seventh and eighth seeds. Right now, the Bucks are leading the Group B in the East, and the Orlando Magic are leading Group C in the East. Ironically, they got put with the Boston Celtics because of the way the pools were made up with the groupings from last year's standings. Ironically, with Orlando and Boston being the top two teams in the East, it's come come a rather uh, bothersome group for both teams in the end, but right now the Magic leading the way in the East. So Bucks and Magic right now would be going through to the quarterfinals if it ended today. We'll see if it stays true tomorrow. And then over in the West in Group B, the Pelicans are leading the way, and the Sacramento Kings are leading the way in Group C right now undefeated. They got to play Golden State though in their last game, and in Group C in the West cage, you've got the Sacramento Kings. Minnesota Timberwolves and the Golden State Warriors and the team has already been eliminated 
the Oklahoma City Thunder, who are fourth right now. Mm-hmm. So, Group C seems to be a problem division for both the West and the East. And as I mentioned right now, Sacramento and the Pelicans in the West have right now the automatic spot as well as the Orlando Magic and the Milwaukee Bucks. Cage, do you think that those will be the four teams that make it out with the automatic first place bid? Or do you think a team will leapfrog them and take the automatic knockout stage spot? With Milwaukee, New Orleans, Orlando, and Sacramento. Yes, those are the four teams right now in the spots. Do you think one of the teams below them leapfrog them and make their way to the quarterfinals? Well, I'm looking at this right now. There's two more days left in the in-season tournament for, like, group play. Chicago's playing Boston. Toronto's playing Brooklyn. ATL is playing Cleveland. I think that's going to be one that's going to be very interesting to see. Because if Cleveland does beat Atlanta, things get very, very interesting. And then New York, Charlotte. That, uh, New York, Charlotte, and Boston, Chicago is going to be the big one. Um, because Boston right now has a point differential. Even. Zero. They're even. Orlando's at a plus 22. Basically, now Orlando's done. Like they'll play for the group, like for the group stage. Boston kind of win by twenty-three or more, or more because then there's Brooklyn looming large. Because if Brooklyn blows out Toronto, then that gets interesting too. Yeah, it would it would create a three-way tie head-to-head because the Celtics lost the Magic but beat the Nets. The Nets lost to the Celtics, as I mentioned, but beat Orlando. So if the Nets and the Celtics both win, that means the Orlando Magic, Brooklyn Nets, and Boston Celtics would all be 3-1, and one, all with a win over each other, which would then create a three-way tie, which would then mean, as you mentioned, Cajun, they'd go to point differential, which right now is in favor of the Orlando Magic. But if Brooklyn and the Celtics win, and, and they the win big. differential gets yeah, and they both happen to win by a substantial amount. It could get really close there at the top of the group C in the East. Mm-hmm. Again, um, and then then New York gets involved too because if New York beats Charlotte, which it might be more than likely with. LaMelo now dealing with an ankle injury. And this game is at New York. And the last time these two teams played in New York, Charlotte got blown out of the building. New York might have the driver's edge in terms of that wild card spot in the conference. In the wild card team from the East. And then there's OKC in Minnesota, which is always going to be a tough game. Like, Minnesota... <sighs> I know OKC's out of the end-season tournament, but that's that's between one and two in the West right now. So Minnesota's going to have their hands full. And another thing to mention, Cage, in that Group B with Milwaukee, New York, and Miami, 
The Miami Heat have to play Milwaukee tomorrow. Yep. Slash today, depending on when you listen to this, on the 28th of November. So if the Heat beat Milwaukee, and obviously the Knicks beat the Hornets, that creates another conundrum because the Milwaukee Bucks beat the Knicks, the Knicks beat Miami, and then Miami would have beaten Milwaukee, and they all have a positive differential. Milwaukee's difference is a lot higher than the Knicks and the Heat, but the Heat and Knicks are only separated by seven points. Yep. So again— Which means which means that Knicks-Hornets game is going to loom large for that. Exactly, and if the Heat can beat Milwaukee by, say, 10, that would drop Milwaukee's point differential down to 29, and the Heat's up to 21. So the Knicks would still have to win by at least three, which is only a technically one shot, but still they'd have to be able to win the game. And that's mm. just if Miami wins by 10. They could win by more than that. I'm not saying they will, but it is a possibility. It is in the realm of possibility that the Heat can blow out the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm yeah. not saying it's likely, but again, a lot of interesting things can happen right now in the East specifically. The West is, is I'll say, a little more cut and dry because Group B is kind of dog water because yeah. the Pelicans are already clinched their spot and no one can really catch them like the ah, Houston, they Houston, haven't yet. Houston can technically Houston can technically because Houston beat the Pelicans so if Houston can beat Dallas then they will make it in but they got to beat Dallas and no offense to the Dylan Brooks led Houston Rockets I don't know if they can beat Luka Doncic, Kyrie Irving, and the Dallas Mavericks. I just don't know if they can do that. No, I mean, it's possible. They got Shingun. Shingun's uh, going to eat. I'm not saying they, they can't win Cage. I'm saying I don't think they're going to win. So I think the Pelicans will have Group B locked up pretty soon. Mm-hmm. And then there's the conundrum that's Group C. And they got to play Sacramento, which pretty much, if Sacramento wins that game, they they'll their spot. Yeah, because they'll be four and zero. They'll clinch their spot. Mm. And there's gonna be sparks flying in that game. Is that the game? It, 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 does it, has does suspension has Draymond's suspension ended? No, I don't believe so. But I, I actually don't know that off the top of my head. But, Cage, another thing to mention is right now the team leading the Western Conference best second seeds is Phoenix, who's done their play. They're 3-1 and one in the play in the in-season tournament. Yep. They have a plus 34-point differential. The second best team is the Houston Rockets at 2-1 and one with a plus 16-point differential. So it looks like Phoenix almost has their spot locked up already as the next team to make it in out of the West. But if Houston beats Dallas and leapfrog the Pelicans on the head-to-head, the Pelicans' differential is 33. And they've already Mm -hmm. played. So the Pelicans would just miss out on the play-in or of the in-season quarterfinals. Hmm. And then over on the e of the of the group C side, if the Kings right now a plus twenty nine point differential, so 
The only team that can actually catch the Suns is the Timberwolves, and their point differential cage, negative three. So the Timberwolves basically have to hope that Sacramento loses to Golden State, and they beat the Oklahoma City Thunder. By a lot. Well, but by enough. Like, say the Golden State Warriors beat the Kings by one point. Minnesota's got to win by... Nine. Ooh. I mean, nine, nine at least. Pretty much. So basically double digits. And even then, and even then, Sacramento might still have the edge. Because if it's three and one, it's a three-way tie. The one going down, down the point. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see who gets these last two spots in the East and the West in the best of the second-place teams. The quarterfinals will take place on December 4th and December 4th and or 5th. Then yep. December 7th will be the semifinals. And then December 9th will be the championship for the in-season tournament. All played in – well, the semifinals and finals played in Las Vegas where obviously the NBA plans to go, you'd think, sooner rather than later to join all the other major sports that have kind of tried to get a stranglehold on the Vegas market. Mm. But now moving off of, I'll say, NBA teams, we're now going to look at our last NBA topic, and it is, as I mentioned earlier, Oklahoma City Thunder guard Josh Giddy who is right now under investigation by the NBA for an alleged um, relationship with a minor. Something we've seen a lot recently in baseball, Juan Franco, most recently, but it has happened in the past. Mm. Josh Giddey has been uh, an inappropriate relationship with an underage girl. Again, he's only 21, so... It obviously is wrong, and obviously if it does ring to be true, which, again, there's not a whole lot of information on it other than the um, that the investigation was started, it is still definitely worrying because if the allegations do come out that they are true and that he had a relationship with an underage girl, I'm not going to that's going to be the end of his NBA career because we've seen guys come back from, maybe you could argue worse, but from similarly bad situations and have success like miles bridges currently um it would definitely derail what's been a really good start to a career for josh giddy here's my problem with this here's my problem with this when i heard about this and now it's an investigation going on this reminded me of carl malone why Carmelo? Well, while at LSU, he's 20, gets a 13-year-old pregnant, and wants nothing to do with the child. And you know why I know the NBA is on some BS, uh, on some like anti-woke-ish, like on some woke-ish or or like or BS when it comes to like certain topics or like 
or like fake woke. I hate using fake woke for this, but this applies within the NBA. They let that man play. That man should have been in jail. That man should not have been in the NBA. Now, I know different times and all that. He shouldn't have been in the NBA. It reminded me of that. Because it's like, if this is true, this man should not have a spot in the NBA because, like, we've seen people get away with, like, domestic violence, and they shouldn't play in the NBA, but we've seen it happen. But we've seen it happen. He shouldn't he shouldn't be he shouldn't play in the NBA. But it would not shock me if he does. I will actually take based, cage. Based what? off the NBA's lack of backbone. That they definitely have consistently had. Um I just want to mention quick cage. I said he's twenty one. I'm 21. He's born in October. I'm born in June. I'm older than Josh Giddy. So I just thought I would mention to put it in perspective that he mm. is a, a younger player, which again will affect how he's disciplined. But obviously, again, you can't stress enough. You can't. You can't have a relationship with a girl that's not of age, regardless of. Your reasoning. And Carl Malone's a great example. I'd say an extreme example because we don't we don't really know who the I, I know the, the videos have been posted on social media and they've made their circle. We don't really know the situation because there's not been a lot on it, unlike the Carl Malone situation, which we know a lot about since. Mm. Um I would say that I believe the the alleged girl was like I'll say seventeen. Not 13, in fairness, again, to Josh Giddy, But still, she is not 18. She is not of age. And Josh Giddy also goes far to say, obviously, should know better. But even more, it may have just costed him a very fruitful NBA contract that was coming to him pretty darn soon as he's in his third year in the NBA with, again, the up-and-coming Oklahoma City Thunder. So hopefully these allegations aren't true. And hopefully... Hopefully that the investigation of the NBA comes back and says that Giddy did not end up having a relationship with this woman. But you but here's always what, here's, have to go ahead. Go ahead here's what makes here, here's what makes me a little bit incensed. And I hate involving race into this. I try so hard not to avoid bringing race into this. But John Morant, the media, and I'm talking media reaction. I'm talking about the media. The media reaction to when Ja flashed a gun. Immediate. Gets called a thug. Miles Bridges, when it comes out. We did go after him for good reason. But we really heard crickets about Josh Giddy. Now, like, there's still facts being, like, brought upon here. But in terms of, like, the media, there was, like, crickets. And even then, it 
doesn't get mentioned as often. It, it, it isn't headlining news as it is, as it was with John Morant, Miles Bridges, Kevin Porter Jr. And Giddy's, if it's true, isn't it is just as bad in that sort of service that sort of aspect in some people's eyes it might be worse because it's a minor he's dealing with so i just don't get the energy that media has towards like towards situations like this like it's like they just go off based off of stereotypes. Well, ironically, uh, usually, I will say this, usually, and again, we don't like singling out media members, as you and I technically are a part of the media, plan to be a part of the media. One of, I'll say, your favorite ESPN host, Cajun, Malik Andrews, has as Charles Barkley would have said, "Yeah, a peep about Josh Giddy." Barkley said that about and her. What? Barkley said that about her. No, he actually about Scottie Pippen when they were playing on the Rockets. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. But but I used a Barkley quote, and Millie Andrews has been called out by Des Bryant, former Cowboys wide receiver. And other and lots of fans for not talking enough about what has alleged what Josh Gay has allegedly done, because she, you know, berated Brandon Miller with the gun situation in Alabama. Obviously, has talked a lot about race with Stephen A. on his show, and um, talking about Ime Yodoka and the, uh, his situation in Boston, having relations with a coworker in the Celtics organization. She obviously had her comments to say about John Morant. And again, oh, no, there was there there's there one th- there was one situation I don't think you uh, I'm not sure if you realize, but when someone you know Adrian Payne from MSU who got killed. Yep. yep. Um when Malika Andrews announced his death. I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. Mention well, like the, say, but it, 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 yeah, go ahead. If you didn't hear, what did Malika Andrews say about Adrian Payne, who passed away, I believe at 25 former Michigan State University forward, former top draft pick for Tom Izzo's Spartans. What did she mm-hmm. say after he passed away tragically? She mentioned the say? sexual she mentioned the sexual assault allegations. At in that MSU. same se- at MSU in that same sentence. And again, not like, like what is that what, like Go ahead. No matter what had happened, why does that have to get brought up? If you're gonna say that somebody, if you're not, if if you're gonna know you're gonna say that, then don't say anything at all. Or just state it accordingly and don't let your feelings get in the way of that. Like, come on. I know, Cage. I'm gonna read Des Bryant's comment. He put at Malik Andrews. You went out of your way to crucify Brandon Miller on draft day over something he didn't even do. Why haven't you said nothing about Josh Giddy? I advise you to not make this a black or white thing. Your parents raised you wrong, and just because you went to a private school doesn't make you better. You appeal 
and I know you're kind. You are you just a puppet. I don't know how a former or current NBA player could sit there across from you and look at you with some kind of respect. End of the tweet for Des Bryant. And Malika Andrews has had a lot of ire thrown her way. Some warranted, some maybe not warranted, because again, the women are generally speaking very lacked in the media circles. There are a lot more now than there were in the past, but still, women are not represented well enough in the medium media in the medium of sports media. It is changing slowly, but. It's still not where it could be, numbers-wise. But people like Malika Andrews are the reason why men do not like female reporters. And I mean that. Because Doris Burke is fantastic. No yeah. guy has ever heard Doris Burke, Doris Burke speak as a host, speak as a, a, a sideline reporter, or speak as a color person and not say she knows her stuff and not respect Doris Burke. No one likes Malika Andrews. And that's the problem, is people like Malika Andrews paint every woman reporter in a negative light. So then when Doris Burke does a fantastic job, it's never talked about. It's either never talked about or she gets grouped in with it. Exactly. She gets lumped in with the female reporters that nobody likes, which I think would be honestly pedestaled by Malika Andrews who I am not a fan of, and I assume, Cage, as a basketball fan, you are also not a fan of Malika Andrews. The Adrian Payne thing was just shocking. It was just like, why would you even do that? No need, Cage. One of the many times there was no need to do that. But... And, like... What? Even, like... I'm pretty sure you'll know this name. Lisa Salters. She's very good at what she does. She's fantastic at what she does. But yet, unfortunately, because of this, she gets lumped in with them, too. She and Doris Burke. And I don't know if you heard about this now, because this is unrelated to basketball, but Charissa Thompson's reveal on when she makes up sideline reports. Now women reporters get get lumped in. Now female reporters get lumped in with that too. I'll say it this way, Cage. I think we'll move on. Mm-hmm. I think the few bad apples of the female sports reporters paint the entire group. Kind of like how. And that should not goes. be. And that should Kinda not like, be the case. Well, of, of course not, Cage, and that's why my next statement will ring true with what I talk about with the women, but I'll say it's kind of like how all sports talk hosts are lumped in with Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless about having to be shock jocks and, and talking basically completely not complete nonsense in the end, right? Which is why we try not to do that on this show. Yeah, we, we have our passionate debates, and yeah, sometimes we say some stuff that ends up not looking very smart in the end, but at least we believe what we say. It's not the classic Max Kellerman comment between we'd rather have Steph Curry or Andre Iguodala take the last shot cage and the infamous Max Kellerman quote, I'll take Iguodala. I want Iguodala. Like, you know. That was hilarious. That that, actually was. That that was hilarious. 
Yeah, it was an iconic quote. But again, you're looking at him like, you can't believe that. The greatest shooter ever in Steph Curry, and you don't want him taking the last shot of the game? What? Are you off the banana boat? But anyway, it's like that. It's like all sports talk hosts being compared to Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless when they're maybe not like that, in fairness, but they get lumped in with the guys that kind of just have their, I'll say, stock personalities and fit in the arguments around that. You know, right now Doris Burke and people like Doris Burke who are fantastic at what they do and should be talked about a heck of a lot more than they are get lumped in with people like Malik Andrews. And that's a problem. Isn't it when mm-hmm. Doris Burke does do a great job and should be spoken about in great revere and everyone should say how good of a job she does. And that's my problem, Cage, as I wish instead of just saying Leek Andrews sucks, I wish we just say Doris Burke is fantastic. Kia Nurse is really good. You know, yeah. why can't we? And I know it's the glass half full versus glass half empty. And I am definitely a glass half empty type of guy. I'm more of a negative person, naturally. But why don't we just, instead of saying, all these people suck, why don't we just look at the guys who do a really good job and go, you know what? That guy does a great job. Mm. Wouldn't it Wouldn't it be nice to hear something nice about a female or, even fairness, male sports personality? Because it feels like anymore we talk negatively about them, too, with Kendrick Perkins and Paul Pierce and Booger McFarland in football and, and et cetera. But anyway, big up Thoris Burke. Big fan of Thoris Burke is the Polar Opposites podcast, aren't we, Cage? Mm-hmm. And now moving on to the college ranks, we're going to end off with college ball. We're going to start off in the men's pool because the newest number one team in the AP pool, which was released today slash yesterday, depending on when you're listening to this, and the Purdue Boilermakers are now the number one team in the nation after beating number four Marquette, after beating number one Kansas, and winning the Maui Invitational. Obviously, mm-hmm. the Boilermakers led by Canadian Zach Eady, who had, I believe, was it 28 points in the winning game over Marquette? I want to say it was that many. As I quickly scan my box scores to make sure I don't lose the game, but I definitely already have lost the game. He had 28 points, 15 rebounds, and two blocks did the Canadian in a 78-75 win for Purdue in the Maui Invitational Final over Marquette. Mm-hmm. And Azak Purdue's look good. Yeah, have they? And Zach Eady right now might be the best player in college right now in the men's pool. Well, a guy that's that tall. Has good touch around the paint and can knock down free throws. And it's just hard to stop. And it's just hard to move him around. Plus, the guys around him are actually are are, are stepping it up too. And are taking taking pressure off of him too. Bolts for trouble for the rest of the NCAA. Another thing I want to mention, Cage, in this most recent AP poll. So Purdue's number one. Arizona's yep. number two. They move up one spot. Marquette, who, as I mentioned, was fourth when they played Purdue. 
and lost by three to the Boilermakers, who beat Kansas the day before, who were, again, the number one team in the nation, were were the Jayhawks before they lost to Marquette. Marquette moved up a spot from four to three. So even with losing, they moved up a spot, which is very rare, very rare. And I'll also mention this, Cage, because this was a really interesting stat when I saw it. Marquette, if the Golden Eagles had beaten Purdue, they would have been the first team to beat the number one and number two teams in the nation since 1962-63. Obviously, they weren't able to do it, losing again by, by three, but weren't they close to doing something that hasn't happened in 50 years, a little over 50 years, almost, I believe, 60 years now? Mm-hmm. I mean, rather magical start here for Shaka Smart and the Golden Eagles. UConn right now is number four in the nation, undefeated reigning national champions. Again, the Jayhawks right now are fifth in the nation after their loss. Houston stayed at six. Duke is now at seven. Miami moves up to eight. And Baylor's now at nine, undefeated 6-0. Scott Drew in the ba- Baylor Bears. And Tennessee at four and two finished out the top 10. And on one other thing I want to mention here, Cage, with the um, most recent AP Top 25 poll in the NCAA men's pool, there are five new teams that have been added to the AP pool. 18 Villanova, 19 BYU, 20 Colorado State, 24 Illinois, 25 Oklahoma. All five of those teams have freshly been added to the top 25. All were unranked before the most recent poll. So a lot of movement has happened in the NCAA. And again, they do new polls basically every three to four days. So that's a lot of major movement being made at the bottom half of the top 25. I expect to see a lot more movement in the the months to come, too. We saw some upsets before Arizona beating Duke, James Madison beating Michigan State. Now Kansas being upset, too. There's gonna be a lot of there's gonna be a lot of turnover like in these rankings in the months to come. And as a college like if you're a college basketball fan and you get like you can't ask for anything more. No, you cannot with the men's pool again, just having some great games going on across the board. Um only one ranked game happened. Today slash yesterday, when you listen to this, on Monday, November 27th, UConn only ranked him in in action, beat New Hampshire 84-64. But going on tonight, as in November 29th, Miami, the Hurricanes, play against Kentucky, 10-16. That's in Kentucky at Rupp Arena in Lexington. Mm. And they're the only ranked-on-ranked game, and that should be a great game at 7.30. And again... Miami might be the higher-ranked team cage, but going to Rupp Arena in Lexington is one of the hardest places to play in the entire country. And I mean easily one of the hardest places to play in the country. And then, Mm -hmm. adding insult to injury, we got a lot of ranked games going on 
tomorrow, meaning November 29th, which is Wednesday, you've got Texas A&M going to Virginia to play the Cavaliers and coach Tony Bennett's side. And again, that's in Virginia at Paul at John Paul Jones Arena. Tennessee, number, I got a 10 in the nation. The score isn't fixed or AP polls yet, so it still says the old ranking, not the new ranking. But regardless, Tennessee has to go to Chapel Hill and play North Carolina, which may be the hardest place to play in the nation is Chapel Hill against the North North Carolina Tar Heels. Another ranked-on-ranked game. Another one, Colorado versus Colorado State, and that one will be hosted by Colorado State in Fort Collins. And then the last one, Cage, Arkansas, who is unranked, were ranked previously, played Duke, and it's in Arkansas, in Lafayette. So it, you know, some really big games going on on Wednesday and some really interesting games that, May again, as you mentioned, move the polls a heck of a lot more in the men's side. But really then taking, now moving over to the women's side. No games happened on today, meaning Monday, November 29th. So November 27th, pardon me, as we record this. And no real big upsets other than, well, no other big upsets, but a big game. Iowa beating Kansas State, five beating 16, 77-70, 32 points by Caitlin Clark, leading the Hawkeyes to another big win. NC State did upset Colorado, 10 beating three, did the, uh, I don't remember their team name, the NC State Wolfpack. I should have known that. The Wolfpack beating the Buffaloes. Mm-hmm. In another ranked on rank game. Um, and then I believe you have there in the lineup cage that UConn, who have again, as I mentioned, have been very impressive this year. They ended up losing, but I'm not sure you really could take a team to lose to in UCLA Bruins. They're second right now in the nation in the women's side, 78 67. So that was two versus six cage, and the Bruins did get the win over UConn, but Paige Beckers had 31 points in the loss. So again, that UConn team, you give them till January, February, going into March, they're going to be a really tough team to beat, playing all these really good ranked teams. Well, it's not going to help, though, that Azzy Foods done for the year, too. Good point to mention there, Cage, in Azzy Fudd, who I've talked about quite a bit here as um, one of the many players at, that UConn is getting back on the women's side. She tore her ACL. Azzy Fudd is now done for this season. So adding to kind of the past three years of having girls get hurt. And meniscus too. Like foot injury in a freshman year, 11 games. Knee injury last season, 22 games. And now this, the ACL and the meniscus in her right knee. And during practice too. And Diamond to Shields kind of brought up a question. Like, there's been questions about, about the Huskies as, like, UConn's, like, medical staff, too. And I quote, she put, who the coach, who, who the strength coach there, because what the blank. 
I mean, I don't. I'll say I don't know if that's fair or not, just because again, I don't like, I don't like blaming. I'll say the trainer, training staff, but it is, I guess, a fair point to bring up because again, how do you have Paige Beckers get hurt, Azzy Fudd get hurt, and a plethora of other players get hurt to the point where they played a game last year, Cage, with like seven girls on the bench. Yeah. Like that's a problem. Like you, the, that is an exponential amount of injuries that other teams just aren't sustaining. So what is UConn doing or not doing to yield those type of results? Because again, either you're not doing something or you're doing too much of something. Mm-hmm. So if someone's got to change there for the Huskies on the women's side of the pool. Right now, looking at the most recent top 25 poll for the women's division, two teams jump in that were unranked previously. Princeton, now number 25 in the nation, and Marquette, 6-0 on the women's side. There went from unranked to 23rd in the nation for the Golden Eagles on the other side of the gender bracket. Now, looking at the top of the bracket, South Carolina, Stayed with all 36 votes to stay the number one team in the nation. Still were unanimous. UCLA still stays at two. Iowa's now at four. And NC State jumped from 10 to five and are seven and oh to start the season. But another big jump is USC. USC right now, five and oh, are the Trojans. They're sixth in the nation. And that is their highest ranking in the AP polls. In the women's side since 1994, so Whoa. almost 20 years for the Trojans. Or actually, pardon me, before I mess up my math, almost, almost 30 almost years. 30. Almost 30 years for the Trojans to be back in the top, almost five, a top six in the women's bracket. Okay, at least I'm at least I know I'm not that old because I wasn't even born when that happened. Just you just beat the cutoff date, Cage. Yes, the cutoff yes. date. Uh, UCLA <laughs> stays at seven. Tied for seventh with Colorado, who again got a loss. So they moved down the pole from three to technically tied for seventh with their point total being tied from the votes. But UCLA, again, still staying with that interesting lineup of Angel Reese being out of the lineup right now for whatever reason that may be. Um, And uh, still really no word, though, from anybody of why she's been out of the lineup, but she's still a part of the program as that's been continued to be continued to be made evident, and we'll see when, or I'll say if, but more likely when Angel Reese makes her uh, make makes her return to the Tigers lineup in Baton Rouge. Uh, UConn, as I mentioned, got another loss that that to the number two ranked UCLA Bruins. They dropped from six to eleventh with that loss. And again, their second of the season. And really no other major risers in the women's side. A couple spots here, a couple spots there. A bigger one, I would say, would be Indiana. The Hoosiers move up from 21 to 17 did Indiana. So that's a, a decent jump for the uh, Hoosiers. But nobody else really jumped or dropped big. I guess Old Miss from 24 to 19, the 6-1 and, and one Rebels move up. That's basically it on the women's side. But, again, when you've got iron, strengthening iron with UConn playing UCLA and, and 
all these other ranked teams playing big ranked teams, you're going to have some results where, you know, not much you can do when you've got two top tier teams. Mm. And again, Cage, we talked about Wednesday on the men's side having some big games. The women's side does too. Notre Dame, they take on Tennessee. Tennessee, 20th right now in the nation on the women's side. Notre Dame, 18th on the women's side. Another one would be Ole Miss, who I mentioned just jumped up from at, at top, top to 19. They play Louisville, who are down at 22 now with their first loss of the season. So that'll be a big game between the Rebels and the Cardinals on the women's side of the bracket. And then, Cage, we got some games going on on Thursday, November 30th, the last day of November. The we Game got some games. Cox, the Gamecocks of South Carolina, guess what? They get to go to Chapel Hill and play North Carolina. And again, Carolina as I mentioned, Mensa, and I, as I mentioned, Cage, North Carolina, Chapel Hill, the hardest place to play in the men's pool, it won't get any easier on the women's side either. Mm. Especially when it's South Carolina coming north. And then at 9 o'clock, on the last day of the month, Virginia Tech, they made the trip to Baton Rouge to play the Pete Maravich Center and play LSU. Ellis, uh-oh. That is the tied seventh team in the nation against the ninth team in the nation. Ninth Virginia Tech versus tied for seventh LSU. Well, That's that another one. massive game. And again, it's in Baton Rouge. So LSU will be the favorites. And they should be higher ranked team at home, but Virginia Tech has shown this year they are not a team to be underestimated. They've been really good this year, and their only loss came to the Iowa Hawkeyes by four to Caitlin Clark's right now fourth ranked Hawkeyes. Mm -hmm. So, and that was a 44 point effort by Caitlin Clark, might I add. So, it might take some Haley Van Lith magic for the Tigers to be able to pull out a win after LSU beat Virginia in their most recent game. And another player for them that's kind of been a surprise, I would say, since Angel Reese's absence is Anisha uh, Morrow. Morrow had 37 points and 16 rebounds and played all 40 minutes in the win over Virginia versus the Cavaliers. That's damn impressive. Yeah, and she's, she's kind of moved into that starting role since... Angel Reese has left the lineup. So mm-hmm. Morrow might also need to play a massive role if LSU expects to be able to beat the ninth-ranked Hokies in the women's side. But I think, Kay, that'll wrap it up here for us with yep. a little update in the men's pool, a little update on the women's pool with the AP polls just being released. Obviously, the NBA playing tournament finishes up today slash tomorrow when you listen to this. I think Friday too, maybe. No, I believe it's just twenty eight is the ending of the. Um, oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. It's the end of the group stage of the play-in tournament, and then we'll know by the time we get back here on Thursday for more regularly scheduled programming here on the Outrage, of what the quarterfinals are going to look like, and then I think on Thursday when we know what the quarterfinals are going to look like, and on Thursday, which will be the thirtieth of the month. So either before or after some of these big games in college ball, 
We're going to predict because the fourth is the Monday. Actually, you know what, Cage? I think I'm talking myself out of this. So on the fourth, well, okay. I'll put it this way, Cage. If we cannot agree to an earlier time on the fourth to do the pod, and we have to do it in the afternoon, we're going to do it on Thursday. So I think we might just do it on the 30th. So on Thursday, Cage, we're going to talk about who we think is going to win the in-season tournament. We're going to do a full bracket of the quarterfinals. We're going to pick winners for every single elimination game. And then we're going to pick our teams to the final. And we'll see how many games we get right. And if we get the right winner in all when it's all said and done. We'll do that on Thursday, November 30th, for our next episode of Polar Opposites, Cage. All right. So you have that it. ready. We'll have that ready. Because Tuesday night, we're going to know who's playing in the quarterfinals, and we'll have those made up for Thursday. That'll be our first topic on Thursday. We'll be our play-in picks from the quarterfinals to the winner of the first-ever in-season play-in tournament. Before that, Cage, and getting us ready for Thursday for more regularly scheduled programming, for Cajun Theory with Andy Castle, I'm Spencer Virus. Thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of Polar Opposites on Monday here on the Outrage Inc.